Hi, my name is Claire and I'm the mother of three teenagers with FESD. I'm Jessica, a PhD researcher specialising in educational interventions for children with FASD. And together we are the hosts of Spotlight on FASD, the UK's first podcast dedicated to shining a spotlight on fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. FASD is a condition caused by prenatal alcohol exposure that affects hundreds of thousands of children across the UK. And we're here to bring these conversations out of the shadows and make sure that no one living with FASD feels alone. Hi everyone, welcome back to the latest episode of Spotlight on FASD. This will be our second episode of season three, where we're focusing the entire season on education and FASD, um, everything related to FASD and education really. So FASD in the classroom, uh, all the way up to educating people about FASD and, and how that looks. So today, for those of you watching on YouTube, you will already have noticed that I am on my own. So I don't have Claire with me this week. Um, and so this will be shorter <laughs> because I don't have anybody to bounce off. Um, that having said that, that's also a bit of a call for guests. If anybody would like to reach out to us, um, get in contact on social media or via email, anything like that, spotlight on FASD. If you'd be interested in coming on and having a bit of a chat with us, if you work with um, somebody with FASD in a classroom or any sort of learning environment, um, if you're a caregiver and have anything to say about FASD and education, we would love to hear from you and hopefully you will be able to come on and join me so that I'm not talking to myself again because this is a little bit strange, it's a bit odd. Um, I'm missing Claire already. We're only two minutes in. Anyway, this week we were due to be talking about how to identify FASD in the classroom and what you can do about that. How we um, how we suggest that you proceed with uh, any students that you suspect may have FASD. So last week's episode we just touched on FASD in the classroom, um, very, very much as we titled the episode, the tip of the iceberg, really just like scraping the surface of what FASD looks like in a classroom environment and the impact of any disengagement with education and why it's really, really important to see um, FASD as soon as possible so that we can provide supports and interventions. But how how do you see it like what do you see so there's a couple of things well, there's probably a lot of things <laughs> but the the main things i think that would be highlighted to an educator an education professional um anybody who is working in that capacity is um probably behaviors behaviors um that are not what you would hope for in a classroom setting. So they might not necessarily be uh, negative behaviours, but not um, not in line with, with what you would be hoping for. So we always say, and you will find this in communities that work with um, children with disabilities, children who have experienced trauma, care experienced, 
um, all that kind of thing. But behavior is a form of communication. And it's really, really important to understand what is going on behind the behavior. So what what exactly is that that child or that young person trying to tell us that we are that they are unable to tell us and that we need to figure out you know what's going on and how we can best support them so in terms of FASD specifically um, we do see a lot of behaviors that we would normally associate with um, ADHD autism um, a lot of hyperactivity but also, as, as we've mentioned before in, in previous podcasts, there will be a, a disengagement that looks either like the child is not listening and not paying attention, or they are being disruptive and problematic within that environment. So what does that look like? FASD. You will have heard us mention before that um, children with FASD, people with FASD, generally, generally speaking, will only be able to process every third word of what you say. So they are hearing instruction and they are absorbing in the instruction and they will be able to repeat in some cases that instruction back to you, parrot fashion, perfectly. Um, you know, repeated back, which is very convincing. It's it's really, really hard to then think that they haven't processed what you just said. So really, really important there if if you have a, a child who doesn't appear ever to be acting on well, not ever, but if there's instances where the same child keeps coming up and you feel like, oh God, they never listen to me. They never do what they're told. Perhaps consider repeating the information, slowing right down and repeating what you've asked in as short and concise sentences as possible. So very, very short, very, very simple. We don't, in normal circumstances, don't, we don't need to discuss the what's and the why's and the if's and the buts, just very simple instruction. And then wait a few moments, allow them to process it, and then repeat the same information in the exact same language. So that might be um, an indicator. So that, that regularly not listening to you or not acting on instruction um, is a possible indicator. So have that tool in your pocket. Repeat the information, slow down, deliver the information, pause repeat in the exact same language pause you may need to go a third time you may need to repeat it a fourth time and whilst you're doing that just try and minimize any distractions around you because every time you repeat it if they're only hearing every third word every time you repeat your repeat your instruction they're getting more and more of that information more more and more of that information will be processed but if there's a million different things going on around them, like it's it's going to become harder. It's going to take a lot longer. There's so many distractions in place that are going to make it very, very difficult. 
So that's that's one thing. With um, that conversation as well, that dialogue that you hold with with a student, um, just consider that that the processing challenges that that people with FASD um, can often have. It doesn't mean that the information won't get there. It doesn't mean that it it's not it's not going through. It just means that it's taking much longer. So the information is still working its way through the brain and it will get there eventually. Or there might be a roadblock there that <laughs> looks like dinner being served or the school bell going off or somebody running past the window. And that thought has been lost before it arrives at the destination it needs to. So that's something to consider. I'm trying not to get too much into strategies here because we will be breaking all this down in, in real detail as we come through this season. But that's just one thing. Like if you see that and, you know, that is a, a possible indicator, there's something that immediately that, that you could do. And that, that might be a further indicator, to be honest, if that works. You might find that like, oh, right, OK, so, yeah, that suggests that that, you know, suggests even further that it could be FASD. So, as I mentioned before, hyperactivity is a another one, um, unable to sit still, very, very distracted. This. It's also children, isn't it? <laughs> it's really, really hard. Um, but you will you will notice a difference and it's not an immediate indicator of FASD at all it could be an indicator of so many things so you're really building a bit of a list here as to what might be going on there um, another thing that you'll have heard is mentioned many many times is that FASD is far more prevalent within the care experienced population so if you know that a child has come from a background of trauma um, of any kind again just keep FASD in the back of your mind uh, learn a little bit more about it learn a little bit more about how to support students with FASD because some of these things that, that we're suggesting some of the strategies that we'll go into in future episodes they might help but they will never harm and I think that that's really important to remember so you know, even if you think it might be FASD, but it, it it doesn't turn out to be that and it's something completely different. None of none of what we have discussed um, and will discuss in future episodes would ever harm a student. It, it will never hurt to repeat information. It will never hurt to have movement breaks and things like that. Like it's it's, it's worth trying because if it can support the child and help them engage better in learning, then why not give it a go? Why not? Um, <clears throat> so coming back to the hyperactivity um, and just the, the lack of engagement, movement breaks would be really important for, for students um, with FASD. And you will, you have to really get to know the student. You have to get to know their challenges, get to know their strengths. But you will soon learn to understand when that time is up, like when you have lost 
engagement when they're just done. So that's that would be another way to identify it in the classroom. Um, I'm trying to think what else because there is so many. And when you learn <clears throat> actually outside the classroom, that's another thing. Social interaction. So this this one, this is a big one, and it didn't didn't come to the forefront of my mind. And I should have had notes, but for everybody watching on YouTube, you don't want to see the top of my head all the time. But um <laughs> social interaction is is an out of classroom thing, but during play times, uh, break times, dinner times, things like that, you might find that there's a student that very rarely interacts with other students, or when they do, it becomes particularly challenging or problematic. Um, the other children might not quite understand that this particular child that you have in question and it just becomes quite an interesting social dynamic that as an educator or as somebody based within a school or any any context like that 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 just flags up and and makes you think like hmm, I wonder what's what's going on there I wonder um why that that student isn't interacting with their peers or things like that um and that can come down, this is another indicator, but that can sometimes come down to the fact that uh, developmentally they are functioning at an age much lower, sometimes even half of their chronological age. So behaviours can be quite silly or more childlike than, than their age and their peers. And that can be a reason for that, the, the social challenges too start to display there and that would be another another indicator um, for anybody working with children with FASD as well because you will start to pick up on things like like that like quite childlike interests or humor or things where they they just appear quite a bit younger than than the other children in the classroom and their peers but they look their age they may be working academically to their age they may be able to use expressive language that is far older than their age this is something that we touched on last week and, and all the different variances of FASD so none of the things that I've mentioned it's not a tick box exercise is what I'm trying to say so it's not like okay yeah we've got hyperactivity we've got this slow processing not listening to instruction we've got um, <clears throat> this childlike behavior and we've got social interaction challenges, tick, 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 this child must have FASD. That's not how it works. These are just some of the things. And I think many educators, many learning professionals who get to know the students that they're working with will start to see different behaviours out of line with the other students in their class. I think, you know, as a as a professional, you would you would know something would would highlight to you 
that uh, there's, there's a bit more going on for this particular child than what it appears. Now, there's there's a few things that, that can be done. You might be in a position where you could highlight that you believe it, it may be FASD. Um, you might be able to highlight that child for a, for a diagnostic pathway, for a referral. Um, you might know, you might be able to access the information to know for sure whether or not they do have um, a diagnosis that would be <clears throat> explored or on the FASD spectrum. Um, it is important to note here that there are a number of diagnoses that a child might hold that are not necessarily the letters FASD. So we are still seeing diagnoses um, like ARND, alcohol-related neurodeficits. I've just said that and I wish Claire was here to, to nod. You know, when you say something and then question it, and you're like, oh my gosh, was that right? Anyway, ARND. Um, it's still pre-birth alcohol exposure. It's still an FASD-related diagnosis. So FASD is a spectrum and we do have all these different letters and different um, terminology that come under that. So it, it might be that you're working with a student who has a diagnosis of ARMD, for example, or FAS or partial FAS or you know different things. But it's it's all comes under the pre-birth alcohol exposure umbrella. So you're you're you still um, approach it as if it was FASD. So with that, as I said, you might you might be in a position to refer them. You might be in a position to um, gain that knowledge. But diagnosis, particularly here in the UK and, and more so England, is still really, really challenging. So the, the services specialising in diagnosis of FASD are still limited, growing, growing quickly, but they are still limited. This will change, um, we hope, <laughs> with the release of the nice quality standards. but. It, it it's still a challenge so what i'm what i'm trying to say here is that if you suspect fasd within your classroom within your school within a child that you've been working with or supporting the best advice which we've mentioned before um is to go away and do the research try and learn about it listen to a few more of our podcasts See if you can just build a better picture. And when, when you're confident or even semi-confident that that's what, you're, that's what you're working with or if you feel that it provides some sort of explanation as to what's going on with this child, then listen to our future episodes where we share some strategies and just try and put some of the things in place. See what you can do to help that child, because there are strategies and there are things that can be done. And like I said before, you can it can only help. It can't it can't harm them. It may work. It may not work. But it's worth a try, because if that child is really struggling in school, then 
you know, we, we wouldn't want them to go down a pathway that we were discussing last week where disengagement from education can result in, in loss of life and that, you know, that really extreme pathway that we were talking about. So that probably wasn't as brief as I intended. Um, but I I just wanted to to jump on and and still share a little bit of this information in Claire's absence. Um, we hope to have her back next week so that we can have a proper two-way chat and you know bounce off each other because it uh, it completely changes the dynamic of these these podcasts so if you've made it this far I really appreciate you listening and bearing with me all the way into um, the end of this episode as always please um, get in touch via social media share this with any educator friends um, there is lots and lots and lots more coming around education and as I said at the start if you're working in this area if you're keen to come on as a guest share some thoughts, share some ideas with us. We would love to have you. So thank you very much for listening. Take care and have a wonderful weekend.